Hey, what's up, podcast? This is Match Lava, and you're listening to the Road to Freedom Pod. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Match Lava, and today is Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. It's been a while. It's been a few days since I've been on the podcast, and it has been a very, very good few days. I've had a lot going on. There's been a lot of family stuff going on with just parties for the 4th of July. My girlfriend's been home, so I've been spending time with her and just trying to get as much crammed into those days as possible reselling-wise, and so... I haven't had as much time for the podcast over, I don't know, the past three or four days. So, sorry for that. Let's kind of get into it. We can talk a little bit and chop it up as to what I've been working on and talk a little bit about Amazon. I'm pretty pumped. And so, we can get into that a little bit later as well. And so, what did we have coming out for the past few days? I believe Friday we had the Luka Doncic Jordan 36s. Those were a complete brick. That is what it is. I got in the KD 15s today. Those are, they're they're so-so. I mean, some people say they like them. Some people say they don't like them. I don't think that there's anything that impressive about the shoe. And so those came in today. Nothing that great about those. And then what else do we have coming in? I think we may have a couple other pairs of shoes on the way. And so it's been good. And it's kind of cool to try on different pairs of shoes. I wish I had done more of it because I've had so many pairs of shoes come through my my garage or through my, my house. And so... Um, it's been cool because I've been recently getting into sneaker reviews and back in high school, I looked up a lot of basketball shoe reviews. It was one of the things that like, I don't know why, but I played basketball senior year for a church league. It was nothing special and I was very bad, but I did get really interested in the, the way the basketball shoes work and the performance of them. And so I remember I watched a lot of those, um, in high school. And then even through college, I stuck with a few of them and just paid attention to different shoes that did well. And I really enjoyed it and I like seeing how the different patterns on the bottom of the shoe make it grip better and the different technologies the different sneaker companies roll out I like to see sneaker companies like come up and actually like do a decent shoe where you wouldn't expect them to the most recent one that comes to mind for me is uh, either New Balance or Puma neither of those are thought of as really big basketball shoe companies but now you have Puma making the MB1s and those are fire. I love that shoe. They're very, very comfy. And so that's kind of why I've gotten into trying on a couple of the pairs of shoes as they come in. The KD15s, nothing to write home about in my opinion. They're definitely more comfortable than some of the other shoes I've tried on. The Jordan 36s, really not that much cushioning on those. And so it's kind of cool to try these on because like when you put on the Mellow MB1 and I have that in my size, the other two pairs, granted they're in size, I think 13 or 14 is what I tried on. But you can still feel how the cushioning is on the shoe. You can kind of feel how it fits, if it's going to be a more slimmer fit, if it feels like it's a tighter fit and it's a 13 and you're a size 10. Uh, you can kind of tell that it's going to be maybe a tighter fit for a shoe. You can tell what the cushioning setup is going to be like and stuff like that. And so the MB1s, they are absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I love that shoe. And I'm not sure why more shoes don't do the cushioning setup that they have because it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. You kind of feel like you're putting your foot on like a pillow and it's very noticeable compared to some of these Nike models. So I kind of wish that more shoes had that, but obviously different shoes for different people and different players and stuff. So I can see why Nike does it the way that they do, but it's just kind of cool to test some of those and try them on. Again, I've tried on some shoes. I've tried on shoes that I wanted to keep for personal before. Never ended up really keeping any for personal because they just didn't feel very comfortable. But these MB1s, I got to be serious, they're, they're one of the better shoes out there right now, just on some of the limited uh, models that I've tested so far. And again, New Balance is the other company. They have this, I think it's called a 2A2 is what the shoe is. I don't know if that's Kawhi's. I don't think that's Kawhi's shoe. It's it's somebody's shoe. Um, it's a clean, like very good feel apparently for the shoe. 
apparently the cushioning setup's really good. The traction's really good on it. So I, I want to get a pair of those in just to try them on. But we'll see. If, if they end up doing like a hype shoe for that or maybe it goes on mega sale, I may buy a pair just to see how it stacks up against the Pumas and then I may return the Pumas. So we'll see. Um, but anyway, that's kind of an aside. That's not really anything to do with reselling. Just kind of sneaker-based and some of the stuff that I've been looking at from like a sneaker standpoint. And so that was really all we had. There's not really too much going on for sneakers this week. There's a, a few releases. I don't remember anything being that notable. And so not too excited about that. There was a bunch of restocks on Nike.com today for really just bricks. Nothing too, too good. There was one, maybe like two shoes. There was a Jordan 1 Mid Shadow, and they released in grade school, and they just like restocked those. Those are a really good shoe if you can get those. Obviously, a very big, big money shoe because they didn't make that many pairs of it compared to some of the newer mids that they've made, and it's such a clean colorway, and like people love that shoe. So that was something I missed out on. I was bummed about that, and then I think that there was a... It was like a red and black and white Jordan 1 Mid that came out and restocked as well. Those were also money. I didn't know it. And it's just funny because some of these shoes I remember coming out like 2019, 2020, and me thinking those will never sell. Obviously, resale prices weren't that good uh, initially when a lot of mids released, but then over time, they've appreciated to be $180, $190 shoe. Even those those Jordan 1 Mid uh, Shadow Grays, those things are like 200 to 300 bucks. And so just crazy how they've appreciated over time. It's cool though. I, I like looking at those and I am interested to see. I had a bunch of the chili red mints come through, not a bunch, but maybe a few pairs. And that's a bunch for me back in the day. Um, those came through my house and I ended up selling through those. I think I made like maybe 20, 30 bucks on them. Nothing, nothing that good. I'm imagining that they've gone up in price since then because they were a good looking shoe. I thought they were clean when I got them in. And they were basically the the shadow like mids, but with red instead of a gray logo. So a really good looking shoe. I liked it a lot. And so overall, um, mids are fun. Mids are fun to look at. They're fun to see how they appreciate over time. Jordan one lows are fun as well. They're fun to watch those kind of appreciate and stuff. And so it's cool to see those restock and sometimes you can hit really profitable shoes. And so that happened today. There was a bigger Nike restock. Really wasn't anything planned. They just kind of do it sporadically as returns come in, as somehow they get shoes, whatever it is, they get the shoes back. They find them in a warehouse. I don't know, an employee stole them and they, they found them back. Like, I don't know what happened, but they get them, they put them back on the site really quickly. They sell it really fast. And occasionally if it's a bigger restock, site, uh, sneaker Twitter, like platforms or profiles like Soul Links and uh, Soul Retriever and stuff will start tweeting about it. And so you can pay attention to those. They will, uh, they'll tweet out some stuff from time to time about Nike restocks as well as just everything sneakers. And so it is a good source of information to kind of look at them. And so that was what we had for shoes today. Other than that, Amazon, let's talk to Amazon for a little bit. And Amazon's been good. I've been kind of catching a little bit of a groove with it. I've been playing around with the Keepa product finder, which has been huge. So Keepa, the, like the biggest Amazon tool, you can obviously, um, look at every product or most products and it's it kind of tracks the the bestseller rank over time and so what you see is you see how it's trending you can compare that bestseller rank to other bestseller ranks you can compare the amount of drops per month kind of get an estimate of how many times per month the product sells each drop in bestseller rank is known as at least one sale if it's a faster moving product or a faster moving asin then as you get into the 50 to 100 drops a month you can start to estimate two to three times the amount of drops uh, to get the amount of sales per month. So some of these things are moving with a lot of volume. And it was cool because I've been looking at products that are a little bit higher and uh, move a little bit quicker. And so that's been fun to kind of 
find a few of those products. They're harder to find. It's more difficult to find, but there are different opportunities as you get into products that you see that are moving with some velocity. You could do things like make your own listing and maybe put it as a two-pack, or you could, uh, if you start to sell a ton of an item and you see it's a really good opportunity to, to sell that item, you could look into getting it from a wholesaler, or if you are buying directly from the wholesaler or even from the brand, you could even private label it and, and get like a white label product where you put your own label on it and sell it on Amazon. It's the same product, but now you have your own quote unquote brand that you can sell on Amazon. And so like like how Costco, sometimes a lot of people say that the uh, women's leggings from Costco, they're actually Lululemon leggings. And so they both come out of the same, at least it's speculated, they both come out of the same uh, factory. They both are made in the same plant. And the theory is that since they're both coming out of the same exact place, they're probably the same exact leggings. They just put the Costco Kirkland label on whatever those leggings are and say, hey, these are our, these are our leggings. But really, it's the same quality as the Lululemon leggings. That's a mouthful. Um, it's the same quality as those. It's just a different logo put on the, the pants. And so that's kind of cool. And in the same way, you could do that with different brands. I wouldn't reach out to Tide and ask them if you can do that, but uh, there are smaller brands on Amazon that are happy to do that sometimes because they know that they're selling more to you and it's not like you're going to like wipe them out. Like if you go to a coffee company and they're selling a lot of their coffee and they, they can actually get more beans than they can sell on Amazon, they may sell the beans or even the grinds or however they do it wholesale to you. And they could say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll do the exact same thing we do here, but we'll package it with your label on it and stuff. And that's more rare. That's more difficult to do. I wouldn't jump into that first off, but kind of the progression from what I'm seeing is that you want to go do like replenishables and then do maybe some wholesale or private label. And you could kind of learn Amazon, learn the platform through replenishables. You could do some bundling or, or do some different things like that. And then you could do um, wholesale and private label. And I've been learning a lot through the silent sales machine kind of group on Facebook. Um, I want to give them a lot of credit because they, I have learned a lot through them. But there's just so many opportunities with Amazon. And you keep going back to Amazon is 50% of all sales online. And if you project e-commerce to grow, I also would expect that Amazon will grow. And if Amazon's growing in line with e-commerce, which it probably won't, okay, there's probably going to be the next 20, 30 years, there's probably going to be other players that come in and take a little bit more of that pie so that Amazon's not 50%. But if e-commerce grows from a 10% uh, share or whatever it is right now of all sales made in the US, if it grows to maybe 20, 30, 40% of all sales made in the US, and Amazon goes from being you know 50% of that to 40%, that's still a ton, that's still a lot, right? You're now going from a, a 50 or 40% chance, or you're going from 50% of 10% uh, of sales, so it's 5% of all the sales in the US, to maybe 40% of 40% of the sales in the US. So that would be obviously be a lot larger piece and I want to say that's 16% of all US sales. I don't know if that's right or not. I, I may be wrong. But um, it, you're going basically getting a larger chunk of the pie as Amazon and e-commerce grow. And that's something to keep in mind, right? Everybody wants to make a Shopify store. Everybody wants to make um, a successful private label brand and, and kind of go direct and say, hey, the only fees I want to have to pay are maybe whatever I pay Shopify and then the, um, the Stripe fees or the credit card fees or however I'm going to do that. But the thing is... Um, you don't have the traffic and it's a lot more difficult to get started doing a model like that because you're now having to run Facebook ads. You're now having to run some sort of marketing. And if you don't have, if you're not plugged in on YouTube where you are either a huge YouTube influencer or you have YouTube influencers that you can reach out to or you understand that market, it's very difficult to start doing your own marketing plus getting the product going, plus getting 
all of the trademarking and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot that goes in. And so if you're new, like me, and you don't really know what you're doing, like me, like you're, you're trying to get your, your feet wet, right, with, with selling, and you want to learn how to sell, well, you could go that route, but that would be really difficult. Why not just plug into Amazon? Why not plug into eBay and roll with what they have? And again, like, I'm a big proponent of eBay. I think, pro- like, if you're starting selling, I, I was thinking about this in the car today as I was driving. Um, eBay is like at least three to five, three to six months of eBay is probably adequate for you to understand kind of how things work, how e-commerce works, how to ship stuff, how to pack stuff, um, how to create a shipping label, like which which different uh, sources are better for shipping stuff with, whether you want to use USPS or UPS or FedEx. Like three to six months of eBay, I think, is really good education on e-commerce and shipping and just basic one-on-one, how to treat a customer, uh, you know, customer transactions and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's very basic stuff. I think that's a very good like time frame though. And, and probably on the, the three months end of that, like you don't need a ton of eBay experience. It helps. Every little bit helps, I think on Amazon, but you don't need to like have this several, like, like a decade of experience on eBay to start on Amazon. I think once you kind of get your feet wet with that though, and you understand how to sell and you understand how to treat customers and how not to tick people off. And if a customer has an issue, how to handle it, then you move into Amazon and Amazon's a different player. It's a different game, but Amazon's, um, you know, it requires you to be pretty much perfect and if you screw up they want to know what you did and what you're going to do to fix it and make sure that that never happens again and so that's tough and so if you never sold online that's why i'm saying start on ebay you screw up on ebay the buyer either leaves you a negative feedback or you respond to the buyer and say hey i'm sorry i'd like to offer you a free return like you're all good right nothing bad's going to happen to you amazon you could get suspended and if you don't know how to deal with that what do you do you could get deactivated like permanently if you don't handle the suspension at all and so that's why it's, it's good to get your feet wet on eBay. And then once you do that, maybe even merchant, merchant fulfills some orders on Amazon where you're housing all the inventory and maybe you do some books. You go to your local thrift store or local library that runs like a library sale. Maybe spend a month just doing some Amazon, like very, very slow sales. Get your feet wet with merchant fulfilling orders and see how Amazon's Seller Central works because that's like one of the biggest things. If you don't know how Seller Central works, it's very difficult to navigate Amazon. It's very difficult because eBay you're making all your own listings, right? So if you want to put that the product is Nike Jordan brand instead of just Nike brand or instead of just Jordan brand, you can do that and get away with it. And I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying like, if you do something like that, probably not going to be a big deal. Now, if you jump on a listing on Amazon on a pair of Nike shorts that's listed as uh, Nike Jordan as the brand, Nike could potentially come after you and say, hey, you have infringed on a trademark we're Nike and we're, we're also Jordan, but like, we're not Nike Jordan. That's, that's not a trademark of ours. And they start to, you starting to get some weird legal issues with stuff like that. And so they are not as stringent on eBay because eBay is just like this, this big, very difficult to manage platform because each person makes their own listings, which is good. I like the, the garage sale feel of eBay. I think it's very good. Um, I think there's a lot of potential with that. But on Amazon, you're kind of all on one listing. And so you want to make sure that, A, you're getting the right product, which is tough. I like double, triple check all of my products to make sure that they're all right. Because the last thing I want to do is like buy something thinking that it's the right item, shipping it to the customer and them going, hey, uh, this isn't what I ordered. This is actually a different product. Again, gets you into trouble with Amazon. And so like just trying to navigate that. And again, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. And I hope every time something sells that I don't, that I haven't sent in the wrong product, but I go back to what I did. I checked the product, made sure it was right when I initially like did my research. I checked it again before I bought it, made sure it was right before I bought it. And then I checked it again as soon as it came in. I pulled the actual product out of the box, 
went up to my room and looked on my, my screen and made sure that it was the exact same product as what I was looking at on Amazon, made sure the uh, UPC numbers matched up, all that good stuff, and that was it. And so now I, I know this is the exact same product. I can go back and I can ship this, and if it's not the same product, I'm either going to return it or I'm going to have to eat the cost. So I'm very, very particular with the products because I don't want to send in something to Amazon that's that's wrong. And so like I don't every time I worry about that for a split second, I go back to what's my process. I go through it like three different times of making sure that the product's the same thing it's probably, it's probably the same thing, right? Like I, I probably didn't screw it up that bad. And so, um, it's just something where you have to be very, very particular about these things. It's, it's almost asinine sometimes how, how strict you have to be. And again, you do it one or two times the wrong way, maybe even three times, maybe even do it for a few months the wrong way. You may be fine. A lot of people do it that way. And a lot of people do things that they're not supposed to on Amazon and they don't get caught and they're fine. But eventually if you want to grow a business, you're going to get caught. You're going to get caught on Amazon. Uh, you're going to be able to, you're going to have to deal with them. They're going to say, hey, what's going on here? This isn't right. This isn't how we do things on Amazon. What are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? Who gave you the authority to sell this brand? Who gave you the authority to ship the wrong product? Like, why are you doing it in a way that Amazon does not condone? For that reason, we'll suspend you until you can kind of explain to us what the heck you were doing and why you did it that way and how you're going to avoid doing it wrong from here on out because we don't we don't let that happen on Amazon. That's why we are the biggest uh, platform on the internet. That's why we're the biggest e-commerce platform that's ever existed and probably will exist for a long time because we treat the customer as the king and you know our sellers, they have to kind of obey whatever the customer asks or says. And if it's, if it's wrong, if the customer's wrong, well, they're not wrong. They're actually right. And we're going to make sure the customer knows that they're right and uh, is happy with every transaction. And that's a lot different than eBay. And so in that way, eBay is very customer centric, but they also understand that buyers are people too. Amazon does understand that their buyers are people, but they are very, 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 very customer focused. And the customer is always right in Amazon, which is why they are as big as they are. So like you kind of got to play their game. And if you're going to go play in their sandbox, you have to cooperate with their rules. And so that's why I think it's good to get started on eBay and then move into Amazon, maybe do some merchant filling and then send some stuff in FBA, triple check your products, make sure it's the right stuff and then build up from there. Obviously I've taken stuff a lot slower than I probably could have, but I wanted to make sure I had the systems in place. And I think that now, as things are growing, I will have some systems in place. I have some stuff I need to tweak. I was just thinking today, I made some sales today on Amazon and I thought, this is good, but I don't have all those products logged in the same spreadsheet my virtual assistant's been using to log all of my my sales. And so I'm gonna have to go through and retrain her. It'll probably take me about maybe a half hour to make all the, the documents and stuff for it because it's basically, I copy and pasted everything that I had for the old spreadsheet to the new spreadsheet and tweaked it a little bit. So she'll be able to figure it out really easily. This is another thing that I have to do. And so going through that and making sure that all that stuff's set up is very important to me because I don't want systems to break before I break. I don't want to be, like I would rather be the one who is like the 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 cog in the wheel because that's easily higher outable where I can be like, okay, you know what? I'm shipping, I'm listing, I'm doing all of the sourcing, doing all of the packing, I'm doing all of the customer service. Like that's that's the point where I feel like if I hire people out, I can take care of a lot of those issues, right? I'm having a lot of issues because I'm not able to ship all my packages out on time or, or maybe make a shipment on time, I guess. That's something that's easily hire outable and for relatively cheaply, like 12 to 15 bucks an hour, probably get somebody to do some packing and shipping for you. It's a really easy job, right? And as long as they don't pack anything like glass without bubble wrap, it's really not that difficult. Like you would have to really try to screw it up and chances are they'll be better than me at it anyways because like that's their full-time gig whenever they come to work for me would be they they only ship like they're not doing anything else they're not sourcing they're not doing anything else they're, they're only shipping so like that's something i can hire out but what i can't do is is have somebody come in and 
deal with the bookkeeping issues for me, right? Like if there's a bookkeeping issue, that's something that needs to basically halt the entire business. I need to take a step back and you say, okay, how do I do the bookkeeping? And then I got to go back and go through all the bookkeeping I've done before and say, is this accurate? And then if it's not, I have to correct it. So it's this long process of making sure all your stuff is accurate, making sure all of your systems are able to hold the, the volume of sales and transactions. And then you got to start over. And once you lose that momentum on a platform or on Amazon, it's really tough to get back. And so I don't want that. I want to start and ramp up a little bit slower, knowing that I have the systems in place to kind of sustain the growth that I want to have. And once those systems are ready to, to kind of handle, think of it like the foundation of a house, then then let's start to let's start to build some structure. Let's start to do the framing. Then we can start to build around that. And you know, once we get to adding in the windows and putting on the doors and all that kind of stuff, like I'll be set to be able to do that. I don't want to be able to start, I don't want to try putting in windows when I don't have a, a spot for the window to go. It's just gonna fall and shatter. And, and that's kind of a, a poor maybe analysis or uh, a poor way of putting it. But it, it kind of rings true. Like I don't want to be at a spot where I'm growing too fast and I don't want that to sound like cocky. It's like Amazon's a great platform. If you price stuff and you know what you're doing, it's going to sell. Like it's not me doing anything special. It's I'm plugged into the largest selling platform in the world and things are just working because Amazon's has this great system. Like it's not me other than the fact that I know what to source, but that comes with time and experience and, and putting in a lot of days, a lot of eight hour, 10 hour, 12 hour days of, of sourcing that kind of stuff like that gets put into there but really the main thing is like amazon's working like if amazon stops working i'm screwed i don't think they're going to stop working i'm very bullish on amazon i think it's going to be a big thing and it already is a huge thing but i think it's going to continue to grow as e-commerce grows and so that's why i say as things grow for me like just plugging into their their amazon uh network of sales i i expect that things will go really well i expect that things will continue to sell really well in there just because they have the reach that they that they do and so for me I want to be able to make sure that I can sustain any growth that happens on there and at least be able to make it to a million dollars. That's that's kind of my goal. Make it to a million dollars, reevaluate, make sure everything's going well, figure out what needs to be done there. I mean, obviously I can hire people along the way and stuff like that, but I want to hit a million dollars in sales on Amazon. I'm going to put that out there. And it, it's just, it, it makes sense. Like a lot of people do it. It's not that, it's not that crazy to think that that can happen. And the reason for that is because think about your sales numbers, right? It doesn't really take that much in sales to hit $1,000 in sales in a month, right? And that's a small number. But what I'm saying is like $1,000 in sales in a month isn't really that hard. I think you only have to do like 33 bucks a month in sales to hit $1,000 in sales. It's really not that tough. And so when you start to ramp that up and you go, okay, like $333 is, is 10,000 in sales a month, right? That's not crazy either, right? Today, I'm, I'm probably gonna hit around 150 to $200 in sales on Amazon. If I had more product in their warehouse, if I knew how much to like send in, and obviously I want to test products first. So I send in somewhere around two to five of a product to test it. And then if it sells, I'll maybe send in 10. And if it sells, then maybe I'll send in 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. But if I have all those products in there and they continue to be replenished, you can easily see how you would sell, you know, go from $150 in sales to $333 in sales a day. And that's the magic number that gets you to around 10K in sales a month. And so then you kind of play with that more and you say, okay, well, I built up more. I can send in more stuff. I have more capital to deploy. What's stopping you from getting to $1,000 a day or $2,000 a day or $3,000 a day? Stuff like that's happened before. Like it's not crazy. It's not crazy for me to do that kind of volume. I've done volume, maybe not $3,000 a day, but I've done, I've, I've easily done $1,000 a day in volume on eBay and Amazon's a much bigger platform and they're handling 
each individual shipment. So like, is it crazy to say that I could get to two or three thousand dollars a day in sales? I don't, I don't believe so because Amazon's a bigger platform. They have about five times the reach of eBay, right? If eBay is 10% of all sales on e-commerce right now and Amazon's 50%, they, there's five times more people buying on Amazon there than there are on eBay. And so for me, I'm really not that concerned about whether or not I can get to the the million dollars in sales. I think it's doable. I've seen plenty of people do it. There's people I've had on uh, the podcast that have done it. Like it's, it's, it's a real thing. And so it's a... It, it's doable. It's just, you really have to put in the work. You really have to build the systems. And for me, I want to make sure I'm doing it the right way. I don't want to be buying from sketchy suppliers. I don't want to be having terrible bookkeeping. I don't want to be looking for a receipt scrambling if Amazon says, Hey, we want you to prove the authenticity of this product. I want to be ready to roll whenever, whenever something comes up. And if something comes up, that's completely unexpected. So be it. I'll figure it out. I'll make sure and handle it. But other than that, I want to be making sure that I'm doing things the right way. That way I can grow at a steady pace but I can grow much larger than I would have if things start breaking at, you know, $200 in sales a day. That would suck, right? And then you have to kind of stop, lose all your momentum, go back, fix what's breaking, and then start again. And you have to start sending in product again. If you're if you're taking a break to fix your accounting, you're taking a break to fix your SKU system, you're taking a break to fix whatever the thing is, you're going to lose somewhere else and you're not going to be able to ship in products as fast as you were before. So once you hit $200 in sales a day, you may you may have to stop and you may if you're not sourcing for products you're not going to be finding new products and as those replenishables die out because usually they do right other people find them other people jump on the listing after some time they're not something that lasts forever forever sometimes they last for a year two years or three years but eventually they usually die out companies go out of business products get more expensive yada 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 and so you don't want to be in a spot where you're not finding new ones because eventually they're going to die out you don't know how long that could take and so if you're focused on other stuff, you're losing potential profit and potential business growth. And actually you're slowing because as time goes on, you'll only lose replenishables. If you're not sourcing for new ones, you won't gain any, right? If you're spending all this time fixing your bookkeeping and fixing your systems and making sure that everything works well, you're not finding new products. You're, you're actually losing products. And so I don't want to be there. I don't want to be doing that. If I get to a million dollars in sales and, and I can kind of go back and evaluate, that's fine. But that takes a lot of work. And that also takes a lot of systems in place to work. And so that takes people and that takes like people that you would hire and have people packing and shipping for you. You don't just kind of get there overnight. And so that's something that's a little bit more sustainable is you have people helping you. You have people helping you source. You have people helping you ship. You have people helping you uh, do the day-to-day tasks. You can take a break and maybe not a huge break, but maybe take a step back at least and say, what's working here and what's not? What do I need to fix? What, what things need to be uh, like added on to, right? If my accounting system at a million dollars in sales looks like it's, and eh, you know, not doing as well as it was during $10,000 in sales a month. And now I'm doing, you know, um, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars in sales a month. That's something you want to take a step back and say, okay, well I have some capital now. I, I can go hire a developer and have them kind of make some custom stuff for me here that, that'll work for my business. Or I can maybe look into actually getting a, a more legitimate software for this rather than just, you know, scraping by on this Google sheet or this Airtable uh, base or whatever I'm using. But you can kind of do that when you have more systems in place, more people handling those day-to-day tasks. The business keeps humming along even when you take a step back to work on the the work on the business instead of in the business. And so that's kind of what my goal is. We'll see how it works. We'll see if what I do that works and what, what I do that doesn't work. Hopefully every day I wake up and I don't have that nasty email from Amazon saying, hey, Bozo, we've suspended you for the day. Like <laughs> that's not something I want. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see what happens, but that's kind of my goal right now. And I think that it's very doable. I think it's very achievable. I just kind of got to put in the work and continue to learn. And I feel like, I feel like things are going really well, right? If I had every day, like today, I would probably be somewhere around, 
you know, three thousand to six thousand dollars in sales a month, right? That's really quick. That's like really, really quick compared to where I was in my first year of selling, where I did six thousand dollars in sales in the entire year. To be able to like scale up to something that quick is actually really, really mind blowing to me. And so it's a huge opportunity. I'd encourage you to get into it. I encourage you to reach out to me if you need help. Um, but yeah, that's that's just really what I'm working on right now, and I think it's a very, very big. Uh, opportunity that we kind of find ourselves in to be able to jump into Amazon. And so anyway, that's a bit of a longer podcast, but I wanted to get into it a little bit and talk about what's been going on. It's been a few days anyway, so uh, maybe chop it up into two two listening spots if you really need to, uh, to do so. But I'm going to get going. You guys have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you tomorrow with another podcast. Have a good one. Peace.